Hi, Peter Bulker here, and welcome to today's edition of the Transition Guide. Now, joining me today in the studio is Donna Griffith, author of Sticking to My Story The Alchemy of Storytelling. Now, that's a recently released book, isn't it, Donna? Two weeks already hit bestseller. It's like having a new baby without the sleepless nights. It's it's super exciting. This has been 20 years in the making. And it's always interesting. So when someone releases a book, there's a lot of thought process that goes into it. What made you decide that right now was the time to release your book? Uh, I'm a firm believer in, you know, the moments finding us. If we know how to look for the signs, it's sort of like, you know, billboards we pass along the road of life. And if we lift our eyes up at the right moment, we just know it happened. So I've known for years that I have a book. I've been I've been uh, writing a lot of content. And every time I'll write a piece on pitching, I'll be like, oh, that'll be a good chapter in my book. Oh, that'll work. That'll fit right in. Um and then it seemed like such a daunting task because who has time to write a book? It's it's like, it seems like this massive thing. And a little over a year ago, I was interviewed on a podcast from a lovely Kiwi uh, marketing guy named uh, Vince uh, Warnock and Chasing the Insights. And he happened to mention in one of the prep calls, just like you and I chatted, uh, that uh, he had a publishing company, not in any way trying to pitch me on it, just sort of like by the by. And I'm like, whoa, 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 tell me more. And he actually empowers authors to become authors, nice. taking you through the whole process, not ghostwriting, which I get pitched for that all the time. It, it makes me laugh. Like the day my book was released, I got a pitch on LinkedIn hi, would you like to write a book? We can ghostwrite it for you. And then you get these proposals, $20,000. And I'm just like, that's a really funny timing. I just released my book today. I wrote it myself. So, but it's about, for me, the path and the mapping out, which is actually very similar to what I write in the book about mapping out the pitch deck for investors. Sometimes you just need to know, you need somebody to kind of be by your side, whispering in your ear and accountability. So the timing was right. Uh, I had the guide. And then it was just finding, carving out that hour a week to write. And then the hour became two hours, three hours. And then I started writing in May, October handed in my first draft. And nice. here we are. <laughs> wow. Awesome. And actually pitching is one of the reasons I wanted to speak to you today. It's one of the challenges we have right now. You remember the 08, 09 recession. Oh, I yeah. mean... Here we, are. Here we are again, Groundhog Day, yep. slightly different circumstances, but yes and no, because in all intensive purposes, for many people, the capital markets are really tightening up. Lenders yep. that would traditionally lend, they've, they've shut their doors yep. because they're yep. risk averse or their criteria for lending is so damn steep. You'd have to be crazy to borrow from them yeah, in the first take place. To sign, sign away your, your future. Yeah. So yeah. what people are looking for, they're looking for alternate investors. And part and parcel of that is going to be, well, you're going to have to create a pitch deck. But investors have actually been burnt recently. Badly. So, Badly. so I'm wondering, and let's we'll cover the really big ones because there have been some really big burns actually where in all fairness the people pitching they may have started off with well-intentioned motives 
But actually, they turn into total bullshitters. And I do not think their investors are going to fall for that again. Well, we think that. And then every few years, we'll have uh, an Elizabeth Holmes or an Adam Neumann or a uh, uh, SBF, as we just had recently in Silicon Valley, still recovering from that. And I'm sure that domino effect has been the news right now. Silicon Valley Bank, which is like the 40-year-old bank that's become synonymous with tech and startups in Silicon Valley just announced that their stock plummeted 60% in one day. I mean, so this is really scary times. And it, it just has all kind of trickled down from a lot of bad decisions that have been made. Uh, so yeah, and and but you know, I I have to say that that a player like Elizabeth Holmes, as as horrible as what she did is, I truly believe that she meant she had the intention to get out there and change the way injections were done, and she truly believed she could do it. Somewhere along the way, the pressure got to her, whatever, and no way am I trying to justify it. But I I tend to believe that people have good intentions. It's a philosophical argument that I have with my husband. I give people carte blanche until they prove me wrong. For him, it's like everyone's guilty till proven innocent. I take the opposite. <laughs> and somewhere in between, there is a middle ground. And what I'm seeing, especially in the UK, is that investors, those with money, have become nervous. Yeah, yeah. And, and rightfully so. Rightfully so. Uh Nobody wants to be the next uh, the one that got taken for a fool. And and I, I'm, I'm sure the due diligence will be tightening back up. And uh, I mean, I can't do anything about that. What I can do is help startups tell much better stories that show their urgency and their relevancy during times like this, because there's still money there to be invested. They have commitments, they have funds, and they do need to make their quota of investments. Who are they going to be putting the money into? A lot of them have already said we're going to do follow on rounds for our current portfolio and help them weather this storm understandable and, and very respected. Others will still be looking for that next gem that truly will become the next Airbnb, the next Uber, the next what have you. And I I see startups like that every single day. And they're out there. Exceptional so companies, exceptional teams. So here's a question for you then. This is one of the questions that get asked a lot. How do I create a compelling pitch for investors? You buy my book. And no, I'm just kidding. But yeah, so it's, I, that's why I wrote the book. Um, I really wanted to give people that guide. It's like, you know, you go on a trip somewhere. It used to be we'd carry our book. I had these ear folded down travel guides to China for the first time that I went in. This is their travel guide for navigating everything, everything to do with pitch decks. I'm in the process of recording the audio book. Today, I should I'm in, be in the studio, hopefully finishing it up. And as I read it, um, I, I, I expect it to be like cringing, but I'm actually really proud of it because it really goes into the level of detail needed to understand the, the logic behind it. And with every chapter that I put, like let's say market analysis or competitive landscape, I then give actionable tips. 
for what to do. So it's understanding way, the way investors think and then how to power into that and how to use story to drive it. So there's a very specific structure and then I break down each and every slide. So that's, I wanted to reach more people and the timing of it being in a recession to me, spending $10, $20 on my book, depending on right now we have the promotional is still out, is a really good investment because this is something that can really help you. And my hope is then those that need the extra help, they'll reach out to me and I'll I'll help them really refine the story. Okay. So in between, because the audio book isn't out yet, many of the people that tune in are quite auditory. They don't read. So from probably a- within a month or so, I'd say. So maybe by the time this episode airs, uh, you can check out stickingtomystory.com, which is where my book is. And the update will be there. So if you were okay, so to give the so to give the people tuning into today's episode a high level, mm-hmm. what are the what are the top things they must do in order to create a compelling pitch for investors? Okay, so first of all, I divide it up into chunks, into four acts, like a four-act play. I'm a theater baby. I've been acting since basically I could talk and going to Broadway shows as a child. Um I I fell in love with theater and when you know chasing back the the roots of storytelling we're going back tens of thousands of years uh from everything from cave paintings to Gilgamesh and and the Iliad and then through Greek tragedy Shakespeare Chekhov Miller everybody wrote in a very similar archetypal way chunked into acts there was a real arc of the story yet we continue to go to the theater and we still continue to go to movies today and plays as new things emerge the structure is the same which is the answer that I give people when they're like wait what you want me it's like everyone's going to do it that way isn't it going to be boring no because the content then and your uniqueness is what shines through. The structure is there. The structure should be transparent. You are using that structure, but you're driving your story through it. And our brains are happy because this is the way they've been hardwired. This is the way we have learned to interact with the world. You know, my girls grew up loving stories, wanting to hear stories. Now they read voraciously. They're they're nine and six and they're huge readers, but they make up stories and they write stories. And this is how we learn the world. So four acts, the problem, the pain, the villain. What problem are you solving in this world? And my guideline to that is turn that into a story. So the same way this, I, 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 I received all these spam emails all the time trying to sell me on services. And today I got one that kind of grabbed my attention. And I tried to deconstruct what happened. He started with a story. He created empathy through telling a pain that he had as a business owner. And that grabbed me. I still haven't answered him back. I'm still kind of going back and forth of this service I need, but he did go through the initial block sender. So, so turn it into a story, then your solution, what you're selling, what your product is, how it works. Guide us through a story there too. How has it worked for your customers? Give us a real user journey through it. That highlights it so much better because then people are imagining themselves using it or someone they know using it. 
Then Act 3 is the business data, the market, the, the business model, the competitive landscape, your, your go-to-market strategies. And finally, Act 4, which is often neglected too, is your vision for the future. Right. Now that the hero has slain the villain, what's next? How much bigger can this be? What other kingdoms need protection? So we, we go through a very circular, cyclical Hollywood ending in a sense, but we also are driving our vision forward. Which is probably where most companies are weak. They don't like telling stories. They like giving facts, but they're not good at telling stories. I, I just worked with a tenured uh, professor from a leading Ivy League college uh, yesterday and incredible biomed discovery. Um, and it just, the story was so all over the place and so fragmented. And uh, it was really just pulling it together in the right order. It's like all the fragments were there. Sometimes it's just gathering it. Sometimes there's things missing, but it's it's like taking the fragments and creating this beautiful um, sort of mural of the little pieces that, that then tell the story in the right way. I think that's why Patrick Lencioni does so well with his books because he creates fables which are storytelling, which yeah, most people can relate to. Back, all leads back to fables and myths and everything. It's so at the basis of who we are as humans. Okay, so that's clear. So we divide it into four acts and they go yeah. through it, they create the acts and hopefully they've created some kind of story that people are yeah. going to wanna listen to watch. Listen to, watch, and then take action, invest in, buy from. Uh, and then you create your narrative on each of the slides. I actually script out what the founder will say on each slide. So they have their speaking points. I, I don't expect them to stick to it verbatim, but it helps a lot. You know, Peter, sometimes people come to me and they're like, uh, I'm not a very good presenter. I need to work on that. 50% of me not being a good presenter is solved when you have a good, strong message. Because if and you're I, reaching for straws in the air, of course you're not going to be a good presenter. And you know what? Probably a good way to see how it's not done is to watch Shark Tank. You know, we watch Shark Tank religiously. We, we That's our Saturday morning kind of tradition as a family with our girls. There's some really good pitches there. There are some really and, good pitches. And, and most of the really good ones tell a powerful story. And now, get of the course investment. they want to know about the numbers. Of course they want to know about the margins. Of course they want to know about all of that. But what really captivates are these amazing moving stories of how this even came to be. What was awakened in them? Uh, my father was killed in 9-11 and he had always loved cooking and he had this dream to bring this and it's this cutting board. Everybody comes with their story and their unique background. And that says a lot about them as a person. And then when they have the numbers to back it up, it's wow. So I actually, I'm a huge fan of Star, of, of Shark Tank. Whatever happens, do they really get funded at the end? I think it's a great, of all reality shows, it's got a great message. So that then leads me up to the second one. Shark Tank, they sort of, they apply to the TV program, they get selected, they get to pitch. For most people, they don't go down that route. No. So how do they how do you typically see companies approach investors? So I, I mainly work with tech startups, some lifestyle or or, or 
packaged goods, apparel, fashion as well. Um, so first of all, you have to know who your investor is. You have to understand who's investing in your space. So you, you, there's places like Crunchbase where you can learn about investors. There's all kinds of uh, databases that you can find. There's all kinds of lists going around that very kind people have created. Then you want to look, are they invested in a direct competitor of yours? Don't approach the ones that are invested in a direct competitor because that's not going to happen. And you don't want a meeting like that to happen because you could end up giving away vital things. Then you try to find someone that can connect you, either an inve uh, uh, other, another entrepreneur they've invested in or a trusted advisor that knows them. You looked on LinkedIn, who they're connected to. And if you can get a warm intro, great. I also write in the book about how to write like the, the, the blurb that you want people to send out. Make it in third person so it's easy for them to copy and paste it and make the intro. Don't make their work hard if they're already doing you a favor. Um, it's all about creating the relationships. Now, sometimes you just have to send the cold emails. So you have to be smart about how you write it. They're going to see hundreds of pitch decks every week. You want to be the one that rises above the noise. And there's definitely ways you can do that again with the storytelling. So now instead of a full-blown pitch deck, you want to tell a 30-second version of it using the same structure. The villain, your hero, something fascinating about the business. Boom. Like your achievements. That's it. How do, do you have any tips for today's audience on how they can negotiate the terms of an investment? <laughs> As I say in the book, I am a words woman and not a numbers woman. Um, so I... I'm not the one you would come to for the numbers advice. There's great people out there. I will just say, A, don't negotiate with yourself, okay? Don't have a valuation on the slide. Don't, don't make that mistake. It's like playing cards. You don't want to show all your cards the first time around. You want to put the sum that you need to get to your next major milestones. That's what they want to see. What will their money go towards? Um, negotiating, leave that to the lawyers and the accountants and they know what they're doing. Um, hopefully you found a trusted one. There's some really great ones out there. Don't, don't just sign with anyone, but, uh, it's more important to know what you need and what sure. you're asking for and be very specific where this will take you to. What are your KPIs? What are your key performance indicators that you'll be at once you finish your one way your, once the money runs out and you're ready to raise your next round? So basically have a good negotiator on your team. When that always helps. But I don't even think it's it's someone from your team unless you have a CFO that's going to be doing it. At this point, yep. when the term sheet comes in, you've got professionals that step in. You've got lawyers. You've got accountants. They'll look at the numbers. They'll make sure. And don't just take any investment. You don't want to sign away your soul to the devil. You were saying before, Peter, that that uh, some of the terms that these lenders are giving are just ridiculous. You're right. And these are things you're going to be signed on to for a long time. All this, you know, one thing in the Shark Tank, going back to that one, Kevin, is like a, a royalty deal in perpetuity. I'll get a dollar from it. Perpetuity means forever. Forever. So you're going to be giving this guy X amount of dollars for every single sale you make. Now, not only is that a problem in terms of your cash flow, it's a problem in terms of future investors. Yeah, You got to think the kind of 
the kind of cap table you set now, what is that going to say to your next round of investors? So be cautious. Yes, I mean, that's a really good point. And I think one of the main reasons why people try to in avoid investors is they want to have the investment. They don't mind giving up equity, but the one thing they don't want to give up is control. This is true. So you want to keep controlling shares, but you also want to find an investor that can give you value beyond just the money, mm -hmm. whether it's opening doors for you, whether it's giving you good advice, people that have been entrepreneurs themselves or have been doing this for many years. And, and I know a lot of just wonderful investors. And one of the things they look for, if we look at the other side, and I do, I talked to hundreds of them and brought in some of their insights is they want a founder that has a flexible mindset, that's there to listen, that's coachable, that they have something. So if in your meeting, you're already arguing with them or you're kind of negating what they're saying, and sometimes they purposely will ask challenging questions, see how you deal with it, that's going to be a big fat no. That's a, really, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. But it all starts with a pitch deck at the end of the day. It is because it's our initial interaction. It's what you're sending out to them before. And by the way, the, the pitch deck that you pitch in a meeting will be different from the one you send out. It should be. So there's two pitfalls that happen. One, founders tend to put every single bit of data on slides and make them look like, you know, eye charts when you go and get an eye, eye test before you get your driver's license. And it's just horrible. Um, and then they're like, well, what if somebody wants to send it on or read it later? Great. So have another version. I always call the teaser deck. You take like the eight or 10 most powerful slides. You can add a bit of text to it. So it's standalone. I always try on each slide to keep them very visual and put like a headline and a bottom line. So if you read it, you get the gist. People need fast messages. We're living in the era of TikTok, Instagram, Reels. People want quick, highly digestible things. You need to give it to them in that boom version that, that grabs their horrible attention span that's deteriorating. So when you help people with their pitch deck or how to put together the pitch deck, is it possible to put the story in such a way that the investor knows up front what the business owner wants out of the investment and maybe that they're not prepared to give up control of their company. We never want to come out right and say that, but I think it's a given. Like at early stage startups, you're not going to give away 51% or above. If That would be suicide. I mean, as mm -hmm. it is, you already have partners and you already have the cap table divided up. So you need to be careful. But um, there's valuation formulas. So obviously now it's a... It's a buyer, it's a it's a buyer's market. It's like, you know, it's it's back, the power is back with the investors. Yeah. Because uh 21 was like party in the USA. <laughs> it was like everyone was handing out checks like uh, like hotcakes. And that party is over. And right now the valuations, well, you know what? I one investor um here in the valley said it's it's a market correction. So the valuations got so inflated that it was just crazy. And the problem is companies that raised rounds in those crazy valuations 
are going to have a lot to prove in the next round. And that's going to make it very tough for them to raise. Well, it's they equivalent to, to get to results. It's equivalent to buying property at the top of the market. Will you ever be able to match that? So now things, the pendulum has swung the other way. It's back to kind of normal valuations, which are going to seem harsh. But truly, if we look back a few years, this is a normal valuation. Mm. It's a bit like interest rates, actually. Right now, everyone is everyone's absolutely screaming at the interest rates. But actually, in the 19th century, the base rate in the UK was 5%. So we're literally more or less at the average rate for the last century. Things, are, things find equilibrium. We end up you know, swinging to the extremes, but hopefully coming back. And honestly, you know, in the political scheme of things, I hope that that actually happens. We're, we're in some tumultuous times across many different things, and we see lots of trends happening. I'm an optimist, so I always hope that we'll end up at balance. That's, that's the best I can hope for people. We will do. We always do. We always do. How long that takes, nobody knows. So if people want some information of, on you, perhaps how they can sort of better understand how you can help them, what do they need to do? Absolutely. So stickingtomystory.com, you can find all about the book. DonnaGriffith.com is my site. Two Fs, one T, no H. There's a story there too. My father-in-law is an artist. And when he went to art school in Florence, he changed his name to Griffith. He must have forgotten the H. So what's that it's on quite an unusual. H or an S? <laughs> yeah, which is fun because it's it's different. So it's memorable. Um, so DonnaGriffith.com. I've got a lot of goodies there, a lot of um, uh, good resources. And you can also reach out to me directly. And please do mention this podcast. Uh, if you heard me here, you automatically get a discount on any of my services. Perfect. Thank you. Now, if anything's resonated with you today, you want a bit more information, head over to booker.com and get in touch. If you love today's episode, please subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Share it with other people and give us a like because that always helps. Thank you very much, Donna, for being an absolute awesome guest. Thank you so much for having me, Peter. Cheers. And remember, failing to learn is learning to fail. Please stay safe.